The Forum at 8 on SAFM. So much for tuning in to the Forum at 8. Now, the Alliance for Rural Democracy believes that government has tried and failed to resolve issues around the forms of land ownership that should apply in former homelands. This as the debate intensifies around the country about the ownership, use and management of communal land and why the country's rural constituency seems to have been left out of the policy recipe for the past two decades of democracy. The Department of Rural Development and Land Affairs has hosted a communal tenure summit in Gauteng uh, during May and um, that has been widely criticized. Now, a new planning law, the Spatial Planning and Land Use Management Act, will replace the Communal Land Rights Act of 2004, which was struck down as unconstitutional in 2010. But the communal land tenure policy is adopted. It holds a potentially disturbing future for the 20 million South Africans who live on communal land. The policy aims to distribute land in outer bounds of the communal land to tribal councils by allocating title deeds to them. So the question arises, do the chiefs really own the land in South Africa's rural former homelands? And that is what we are discussing this morning. And uh, joining us for the discussion is uh, Siabulela Manona, who is a member of the Alliance for Rural Democracy. Thanks for your time this morning. Good morning, Sakina. Good morning to the listeners. And also with us this morning, Dr. Annika Klaassens, who's a Rural Women's Action Research Program uh, Centre for Law and Society from the University of Cape Town. Thanks for joining us this morning as well, Dr. Klaassens. Thanks very much, Sakina, and hello to the listeners. And uh, we are kind of struggling to get hold of uh, Josi Sipo Matlangu. Um, he's, of course, Deputy Chairperson of the National House of Traditional Leaders. Uh, we have confirmed him for this morning's debate, but of course, we'll keep trying. In the meantime, though, uh, Mr. Um, Manona, let me start with you. Now, you have said that amongst the salient issues that can no longer be avoided in the, the policy conversations around this matter is the somewhat controversial role that traditional institutions within the context of our no longer democratic uh, no longer new democratic um, uh, dispensation play can you explain that to us yeah thanks Sakina um, I must start by saying Sakina it said be the 21 years into our democracy we're still um, debating this um, from a construction point of view when we should really be actually be fine-tuning this matter had it been properly addressed earlier on during the democratic transition process. Uh, That having been said, I need to clarify that this issue, many people come from different angles. A whole lot of people come with an argument which is largely based on pre-colonial understanding, romantic ideas about what pre-colonial land-holding systems were before colonialism. And many of those, because obviously many of us did not live through this era, many people come with a whole lot of baggage uh, of what they've learned recently in current land ownership regimes and confuse what the pre-colonial situation really was. We then have 
the apartheid era um, from around about 1913 on to 1950, which is the pinnacle of apartheid. We have a series of legislation and policy measures with the current, which are put in place to systematically dispossess African people of, land, of rights in land. And much of those rights being put systematically and wrongly placed in the hands of traditional leaders, not in terms of ownership, but in terms of control, in terms of governance. Traditional leaders were made the governors, and I suspect some of this confusion around ownership emanates from this. I don't want to dwell too much into the history uh, because uh, post-1994, we have a beautiful constitution which recognizes traditional leaders, and secondly, on the other hand, it recognizes rights um, in land which people have historically lost for one reason or another. We can go into detail in terms of that. And my main arguments um, are that if, you, if the government continues in the current trajectory of whereby it is planning to transfer title, firstly, that is a distortion of African land ethics. Secondly, it will be, be tantamount to dispossession of African people in a scale that far exceeds the effects of 1913 and 1936 land acts combined, largely because the populations at the time have, uh, were much smaller, and the people that are affected by these land rights currently, they many more, and the current constitution actually has actually given away rights to people in communities, and which is totally different concept to transferring title to traditional leaders. For me, this is dangerous. This is dangerous because it is a recipe to kill an institution which should be playing quite a constructive role uh, in rural communities. It is, this institution is recognized in the constitution and we should now be busy calibrating how it should actually be fitting within a democratic uh, order. We but should not be debating this. Thank you. Has this not been done yes, in sir. consultation with the people, though? And, um, Sakina, this is um, uh, that's a tough one. We have seen uh, post-1994 quite a lot of consultations with the people um, as the new policy uh, processes were being, post-1994 processes were being put in place. 
Uh, very recently, particularly in the last two administrations, we've seen quite an erosion of uh, public debate and involvement uh, of civil society in these discussions. Let me list one issue where this thing rears its ugly heads. When the uh, traditional leadership and framework act was uh, conceived, it was conceived as a result of traditional leaders increasingly feeling the, uh, marginalized and they put up uh, their issues with the government and the act came about. What has resulted from that because of lack of involvement of the people. You ended up with an act which distorted the institution of traditional leaders way beyond what you had during the apartheid and in any time period in history. You, we found ourselves being settled with a piece of legislation which establishes a headman as traditional leaders, as, as me- members of the royal household. And it meant that the councils that had to be set up had to be constituted predominantly by members of traditional household uh, on 60%, 40% proportion. What will result, or what is actually resulting from that, is there's a lot of resentment that's growing amongst rural communities around this particular issue, on the one hand. On the other hand, this thing has resulted in a high court judgment in Bisho, which is currently being challenged, uh, where a community in Gala challenged this issue of and want, because they wanted to elect their headman. Now, the Eastern Cape government has appealed without realizing the impact that this is likely to have. Now the thing is going to constitutional court, and we're likely to see that judgment having national implications and applying throughout the country. What this is actually doing, this is actually punching holes into the whole institution of traditional leadership, uh, which should not really be the case had policy engagement processes been carried through honestly and openly and, and truthfully. Um, let me find out from Dr. Clausens, you know, what has been the view from um, the women that you work with, the rural women, and uh, also the impact that they believe this will have on them? Well, um, rural women are really horrified. And as uh, Siabulela says, this is something that we never expected would happen, that, that we would have the Minister of Land Affairs saying blatantly that traditional leaders are the de facto owners of land. Because you must remember that the people living in the former Bantistans are the people who really bore the brunt of land dispossession. They're the people who were forcibly removed and dumped there. They're the people who were put under um, imposed tribal authorities during the Bantu Authorities Act of 1951. They're the people who rebelled against the imposition of those Bantu authorities. They're also the very poorest people in South Africa. 
And the Constitution says that people whose rights are legally insecure because of past racial discrimination, which applies to all of them, are entitled to tenure security. Now, if you take the land that they have lived on and inherited over generations and you give the title of that to traditional leaders, you're completely destroying their tenure security. So, I mean, it's, a, it's an extraordinary statement to say, to, for, for the minister to make, and it really can't, you, you, there's no way in terms of the Constitution that government can take this land, which currently belongs to government. Just about all the land in the form of understands belongs to government. It never belongs to traditional leaders. For the first time now, when we have freedom, you have government saying it's going to transfer it to traditional leaders. Even the apartheid, even the colonial government didn't say that. And rural women are just saying that this would completely undermine the processes of change that they have been managing to negotiate in terms of, women, in terms of which women have managed to be allocated land uh, alongside men. And there's been this extraordinary process of hard-fought local change, which this, this uh, statement by the minister and, uh, undermines. And you must understand this has terribly serious material consequences because, ironically, in these very poor areas, valuable minerals have been discovered. So basically all the platinum in South Africa is in what was, what was Boputetswana and what was Laboa. You've got massive deposits of iron, and in, in Mpumalanga and KZN, and coal all over Mpumalanga, KZN, titanium down the wild coast. And what we're seeing are terrible mining projects where people are not consulted. Instead, traditional leaders enter into deals with these mining companies, and ordinary people see none of the profits. So you, you're having increasingly violent protests in the wild coast, at, at the Bakoni mine in Limpopo, in northwest, where people are saying that land that, in many cases, they even bought through exemptions from the Land Act, is now being treated as the property of traditional leaders who, who are unilaterally negotiating away their land rights. In KZN, we know communities around Malmuth who just woke up and found their graves being moved, big prospecting stakes in their fields. They said, who allowed this? Uh, and it turns out that Ngonyama Trust entered into a lease with the mining companies because it had consulted the traditional leaders, it says it doesn't need to consult anybody except traditional leaders. Now, that set of power dynamics with its terrible, serious consequences will be completely entrenched, and people won't be able to even protest as they are now if the traditional leaders get the formal ownership of the land. It will be an irrevocable dispossession of people who have already been dispossessed twice before. So what are you saying? Are you therefore saying that uh, the communities will not benefit if the land is transferred to the, uh, uh, to the uh, traditional leaders? I'm saying that, you know, loud and clear. I mean, there's, there have been a number of court cases in Northwest where communities have tried to get uh, traditional leaders to account to them about mining revenue. The traditional leaders have gone to court and said the communities have no legal standing to question what they do. They have gone to court and said that they, as traditional leaders, are the only people with the authority to hold, call meetings. They've gone to court, they've interdicted people from calling meetings, and even said that people can't go to the Auditor General to challenge why their books of account haven't been audited. And you've got, in, in various parts of the country, traditional leaders saying we are the only people with the authority to represent communities. 
Now, you must understand that those communities were put under those traditional leaders by the 1951 Bantu Authorities Act and that the Framework Act that Siabulela mentioned, the 2003 Framework Act, took the, the, the deeply contested Bantu Authority boundaries and confirmed them as the boundaries of current traditional leaders. So, you know, really these, these superimposed identities go back to hard-fought and, and much-resisted apartheid identities. And, you know, I, I think it, it would be useful for SAFM maybe just to look at a couple of case studies of what's going on in relation to mining and the complete exclusion of ordinary people from any processes of consultation or consent, whereas it's their fields and their houses that are being destroyed. Right now, there's a major school, a school with 900 pupils, a high school in Limpopo that has been closed down through an agreement between a traditional leader and Anglo-Platinum, and the children have got nowhere else to go to school. That happened on Monday this week. So it's, it's, it's lack of consultation at every level. It's lack of consultation by government with ordinary people, and it's lack of consultation with ordinary people on the ground. Luckily, many traditional leaders don't support this because they, they know that they are not the owners of the land. And if you look back to what Contralesa said in, in 1994, it said the land is owned by the people, it's decisions are made from the bottom up. Um, and, you know, we've heard Hustobijana um, from, from uh, Contralesa saying, of course, <clears throat> the people own the land because... You know, if, if this becomes public knowledge that traditional leaders are claiming that they own land that people have inherited over generations, they're going to lose a lot of support. So it's only some traditional leaders who claim that they have rightful ownership. Many, under, many are horrified by that, that claim. Mm. So who are those leaders who are claiming that they own the land? Uh, it seems to be the National House of Traditional Leaders. I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, it seems to be... It seems to be mainly people who were traditionally, who were uh, senior officials during the Bantustan era. I understand that uh, that some in the Eastern Cape do, but but many don't. And I mean, this, as Siabuleta says, this will be the last. This will really undermine their legitimacy in ordinary people's eyes if they turn around and say, "Your last little bits of property, which are recognised by the Constitution." actually belong to us and not to you. And we are the sole decision makers in respect of that land. Well, it also begs the question then as to why the government of South Africa that spent uh, basically their whole lives in exile and fighting for freedom and democracy um, would then have this system entrenched. Siabulela? Yes, Sakina, it, uh, it, it pains uh, me to uh, even go there uh, because it makes me realize that with people having been in exile for so long, uh, we've also, they've also lost so much. Um, they got so much out of touch with the South African realities which is one of the reasons why we are sitting where we are sitting now. The, the, the point I would really want to go to is a, is a practical issue, which is an issue of observation, which is coming out of the work that I do uh, on a day-to-day in the Eastern Cape. If you're looking at the um, uh, platinum belt, 
the issue there is mining. There's huge resources uh, emanating from the mining uh, resource. In the Eastern Cape, there's very obviously very little of that. Now, what we are seeing in the Eastern Cape is a crack within the institution of traditional leadership where there is lack of clarity as to who the land would be transferred to if it were to be ultimately transferred. Largely because this system of traditional leadership is a nested system. At the apex of the system, you have the king or kingdom um, presided over by the king. Uh, Below that, you have the chief, um, who we know historically as the chief, now called, referred to as the senior traditional leader in terms of the act. And below that are what we used to know as headmen, who have now been elevated to the status uh, of tradition of traditional leaders. Now, what is happening on the ground is that people are not fighting about big things because we do not have those um, rich resources in the Eastern Cape. They are fighting about uh, resources emanating from mining of Sabunga, mining of sand. Um, we've got these cell phone masks by cell phone companies which are paying rental, which are placed on communal land. Traditional leaders are in a scramble over those resources. Okay. Um, you can imagine... I want us to go to news, so let's park it there for a moment. 891 is our call-in number. And I'm, I'm, I must say I'm really glad at the conversations that are happening, the comments that are coming through, because I do believe that this is an important issue that we ought to be talking about. Uh, just, uh, you know, Yaya here says, why is government reducing rural people to um, subjects while urbanites are citizens? Is this the freedom that we wanted? And I think it's important that we discuss these matters. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. On the Forum at 8 this morning, uh, we are asking, do chiefs really own the land in South Africa's rural former homelands? And, um, you know, uh, because this arose from a uh, an indaba that was held and um, a question that perhaps we have not paid sufficient attention to. And uh, that's what we're looking at this morning. And we are asking you what your views are on this particular matter and also whether you believe that traditional leaders are the de facto owners of land in South Africa. You can call us on 891 You can also SMS us on 34701, tweet or Facebook, AM Live on SAFM or at Sakina Kamwendo. And I've got a lot of messages there and I'll read a few in just a moment. Uh, but let me just remind you of our guests this morning, Siabulela uh, Manona and also uh, Dr. Annika Laklasens. We did invite Josi Sipo Matlangu, um, Deputy Chairperson of the National House of Traditional Leaders, who agreed to come on to the show, but unfortunately not answering his phone this this morning. Uh, before I go to the lines, let me read through some of the messages here. Um, this one from Deco. Deco says, I still say that the land belongs to all the people who live on it and not an individual person who's trying to make money. Dominic Nguepe says, no land shall be transferred to chiefs or kings only. South Africa's land must be shared equally and not only amongst a few surnames. Another one from um, Masondo says, land belongs to people. Traditional leadership is just another structure 
infrastructure in governance and management of land use. So uh, seemingly no problem there. And then this one from Tusani. Tusani says, this is saddening. Government must listen to the people. Hands off our land. Tolani says, land powers must be given to people uh, rather than individuals. People must decide about the development of their land, not the chief. And then Chinemora Elia says, uh, some traditional leaders are enriching themselves at the expense of ordinary people, and this must stop. And uh, then a few messages from outside uh, Spluma, who says um, local government development um, municipality policy plans um, should inform development trajectories. So, And that is something, an area in which they work. So you are noted there. But let's go to the lines, 0891-104-208. As we ask you the question this morning, do chiefs really own the land in South Africa uh, in the former rural homelands? And also, are they the de facto owners of this particular land? What is your view? Do you think government is on the right trajectory or do you think that government is getting this one wrong? Let's hear from Mike in Santon. Good morning. Hello. Good morning, Sakina. Um, the argument raised by your guest is a cogent argument. It, it um it resonates with all South Africans, but there's something in the articulation of the argument that is missing. And that is that in the articulation of the argument, it's got to be emphasized that this is a decision of government under the African National Congress. And once your audience begins to understand that it's government under the African National Congress, it then can, can, can embrace an understanding of the African National Congress. And you will go back, and you'll go back into the history of the African National Congress, and you will find that from the beginning, from the arrangement that was made with the white supremacist regime, way back, beginning in the 1990s, you will understand that the African National Congress has always acted in white interests. And so when you have a circumstance in which that, that, oh, that, that authority is passed, to the traditional leaders, you have, in effect, the proxy of the African National Congress that works to the benefit of white interests. And the, and, and, the, and, the, and the mutilation of ancestral land is the cornerstone of our existence as Africans. And, it is, and once you put in the caveat, government under the African National Congress, you give your listeners an opportunity to study the true history of the African National Congress as opposed to the myth around the African National Congress, then only you'll have an understanding that your future is bleak and forever bleak. Thank you so much. Mike and Santon, do you agree? Do you disagree? Martha Dean um, uh, uh, in Mtata, good morning. Good morning, Sakina, and good morning to your guests. Welcome. Yeah. Sakina, I want to share my own experience, but first of all, I want to say that if the government decides to give land to chiefs, and kids, it will be moving a bad situation to worse. From 1948 or whatever, it can't be that the headman kids, just, they are not the owners. They are just put there to control. In 1998, I went to my hometown in Matatel to buy a, a site to build my own house. I to go to a headman whose father was not even a chief to pay all these things buy the piece of land to build my own house. But I think this is going to be worse for people who want to uh, uh, 
that funny. But in our world, it's contained well, but the land never belonged to chiefs. It never belonged to the headmen. But if the NC decide to give it back to them, that will be worse than ever. Thank you very much, Sakina. Thank you so much, uh, Martha D. Uh, let's go to a Confidence in Bedford View. Good morning. Good morning. Let me just go straight to the point. Look, the, I hear the arguments that are being put. Um, the land belongs to the community and the chiefs are the custodians. I have listened to Professor Adnika Collin, what she has been saying. And it's very frightening because the interpretation and the law, of the law and ownership is a distortion of reality. All the arguments that she's putting, they are promoting individualism, not a community approach. Um, the land has never been the ownership of uh, one person. Very few people lived on their own in on their very few people lived on their own in the past. People always lived as community under Induna or chiefs or kings. That is why you have got Bakoni, you have got Ababaka, you have got Amakasiba, you have got Bahananwa, not individuals. Now, what this is doing, when people are just only focusing on the question of mineral deposit and mining, in fact, the policies on mining should be focusing on making sure that profit is shared by the whole country, not only by people who are sitting on top of the um, valuable uh, minerals. So consult rural people and remember that urbanization in most instances results in a dilution of culture and the destruction of the view of the land belonging to the community will result in the destruction of the African. Thank you. And that's confidence in Bedford View. Motala in Durban. Hello, yeah. Uh, with regards to land, in fact, as far as the custom of the Zulus were concerned, of the people were concerned prior to independence, the land belonged to all the people. And the chief was just there to see that he provides them he, he was appointed by the people. He provides them an opportunity to grow things on the land. The land does not belong to any individual. It's a society property. Uh, and unfortunately, what had happened during the colonial period, certain traditional chiefs were concerned primarily for personal gain, personal interest, and they even colluded with the colonizing authorities to implement policies, repressive policies against the people. Those chiefs who refused, like Alfred Moloa in the eastern Zealand district, he refused because he didn't want to implement the carrying of power by women. What had happened, the authorities fired him and they got in somebody else who was prepared to collude with them. Many of these chiefs are colluders. They descend, they had, the present chiefs, some of them are their descendants, and they still want to carry on to do things to satisfy their personal interests. 
and not the interest of the community, which is their responsibility. And that is the chief problem. And you are talking only about a small portion of the land, 8% of the land which was given to the blacks. You are talking about that. But nobody is talking about the 80% of the land which was taken away from the people. And, and even this little amount, the chiefs, who corrupt chiefs, who think of personal gain, personal glorification, are the ones who are, doing, are given permission to take control of the land. Thank All you. All right. Thanks so much, Motala. Luando in Clarkstorp. Good morning. Good morning, Sakina. You know, um, I want to help Usiablela with the answer that um, he did not really answer that you, you asked, uh, the question that you, you, you asked um, him earlier. The reality is that the government, which is led by the ANC, benefits in having people who are under the, the, the control or the rulership of these people whom we call uh, chiefs and so on, and they benefit from, 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 from the votes that they get. Our people follow these leaders in our communities. So if you transfer the ownership of land to them, they will continue to have the same influence in the people, which will continue to direct votes of our people to them. And the second point is that there is another caller, um, I think it was confidence. There is a disconnection with what he was expressing. If he stays in a suburb somewhere, wherever he's calling from, the house that he stays in is insured. Is he saying then that the people who are staying in the village areas who are staying in the so-called communal land with houses built in those communal land don't have the right, with all the monies that have been put into their homes, to have that form of insurance, because as it is today, insurance companies would not insure those homes. Neither can they provide, uh, banks can provide any form of finance for, for those people to do developments in their homes because there's no value in those loans. They don't own the homes that they are staying in. So the reality is that we have a, a government who is benefiting from having this kind of a system, which is why they are entrenching it, to make sure that the chiefs continue to garner votes for them through our people. Okay, that's... And it's, it's, it, we're going to find it to the bitter end. I wish Usia uh, Blela can leave the contacts because I would personally love to join what he's doing. All right. Thank you so much, uh, Luando in Clarkstop, expressing his views on the matter. And uh, if you uh, perhaps joined in late and you're wondering what we're talking about, we're asking whether chiefs own the land in South, South Africa's uh, former homelands. And uh, what is your view on this particular matter? Uh, let's go to Nkosi Tlanti Sikau, who joins us on the line now. Good morning and thanks for calling in. Uh, morning, Sakina, and uh, to your listeners. Welcome. Yeah, Sakina, uh, I am an Inkosi of Mbashe um, Traditional Council in the Eastern Cape, Dujwa. Uh, what I hear today is a mere lie or a distortion of facts. Uh, not unless uh, there are chiefs who are doing things that are not, uh, you know, stated in the legislation. As far as I know, the land does not belong to me. On the only thing that I do together with uh, the community is that we are in charge of the land. Whatever happens to the land that I preside over is a decision that emanates from discussions with the community. If, for example, 
you were to come to my area and you want to be part and parcel of my community, you would first go to a meeting where the community would want to know you, where are you coming from, why do you want to reside with them. It is only then, when they are satisfied with their questions, that they will allocate a site for you. You don't pay for a site. We don't sell land. The land becomes the, the land belongs to the community. That's one thing. Secondly, the legislation that I know of doesn't talk of a individual traditional leader being the owner of the land. There is no such. If people are misled by whoever, I would advise them to go and read uh, the Traditional Leadership and Governance Framework Act Number 41 of 2003. It's Act 41 of 2003. That is where they will see how a traditional leader ought to govern. Mm. So it is really, you know, surprising for me to hear professors saying all that they have said. For example, when it comes to the issue of mining, we do have minerals in our communities. For example, in the Eastern Cape where I come from, in Tandane we do have titanium. In Bojini we do have uh, black granite. And uh, we are not mining. The reason being that the community that resides in the area where we have those deposits is refusing to allow companies to mine. They say they are scared of mining. They would prefer tourism and agriculture. And no one has forced them because they have a say. The land is theirs. The land belongs to the community. So what you may find, uh, Sakina, is that there might be an area where things are practiced differently and where a, a traditional leader, be it a king or a chief or a headman, is not adhering to the legislation. People must take that uh, king or chief or, tra- or headman to court because the, the, the act is clear in terms of how a traditional leader has to perform his functions or his duties. Ngozi, one of the questions that keeps coming up is why uh, land cannot be transferred to individuals. Why do you need someone to be a custodian as opposed to just giving it to the people? Right. What is happening, the land tenure system uh, uh, applicable to rural areas is different to the land tenure system uh, that is applicable in, in, in urban areas. For example... In rural areas, we've been discussing this issue of title deeds. Now, you will find that my, I have a home, a nad, where I was born. I am not the only son from that home. Now, if we were to get a title deed, who is going to be the owner of the title deed? Will it be my father's title deed or will it gonna be a family title deed? So all that we are saying is that let that, uh, uh, that is the view that traditional leaders hold. And because we've been discussing this, you know, in conferences of traditional leaders, Contralesa has been discussing this, houses of traditional leaders have been discussing this issue. Their view is that we are scared of banks taking our land because some people will have title deeds and they will go to the bank, take their loan, and when they are unable to pay those loans or service those loans, what's going to happen to the land? Banks will take it. 
We have seen these things happening in towns. There are people who are losing their houses in urban environment because they can't, you know, uh, service the loans that they've taken. So we are trying not to say we are denying people their rights, but they must also participate in those discussions in the rural villages mm. because every decision that is taken in a rural setup, Sakina, is decided in a forum called Imbizo. The Imbizo that government holds is the name taken from the traditional practice where decisions are taken by masses in a forum uh, where the traditional leader presides. It is not that a traditional leader is going to spoon people to say, this is what I want to see happening. It's a discussion that, you know, allows everyone to participate. Women, youth, men. So we are democratic, you know, mm-hmm. in the manner in which we take decisions. Like in, so, not so, unless so, there are areas where decisions are forcefully taken. So then why is there even a need to transfer land to the chief? No, no. The land is not transferred to a chief, not a, a, an individual. We are saying, if, for example, as I have said to you, I am uh, the inkosi the, the, the of uh, Mbashe under the Mbashe Traditional Council, I have six administrative areas under my jurisdiction. I have six headmen under my jurisdiction. And what we're all saying is that let that land, you know, be transferred under the name of the traditional council, not under Tandisitao, not under an individual. Let it be administered under the trust, which is formed by the community, or under the traditional council, which is a government entity that is recognized. Kosi, I'm going to ask you to please stay on the line for me as we wrap this up. Um, let's go to Musi in Newcastle. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Yes, uh, Musi. I want to ask uh, one fundamental question that your presenters are not uh, uh, addressing. Who actually owned the land before the white people came to this uh, continent, and in South Africa in particular? Who were the original owners of the land, and how land was distributed amongst the people, the African people, from 1498, 1652, up to 1860, 1960 and all that. Who were the original owners and how the land was controlled? Okay, that's a fundamental question. Thanks, Musi. Kolani M. Tata, good morning. Kolani? Okay, we, we, we seem to have lost Ukolani there. But, of course, uh, we are fast running out of time, so I want to give everyone an opportunity to just respond. Siabulele, let me start with you. Siabulela? Okay, can't find Hi, it. Sakina, I, mean, yes. I, I, lost, I lost you there. Okay, um, basically I, I, I was giving... Yeah, I, I just want you to respond to some of the issues that have been raised by our listeners and also by Nkosi Kantisikau. Okay, thanks, Sakina. And I think um, I really am appreciative of uh, some of the comments that are made by uh, Chief Sitao. He, what he is portraying is in very much in line with everything that has been raised in this discussion this morning. But what is important about what he's raising, he's current, he's talking about the current situation as it operates. 
whereas the discussion or the debate uh, between government and civil society at this particular moment is what is going to happen in future. Now, where I want to go is the issue of ownership of land should be separated from governance of land. The Constitution is very clear about governance of land. That is a municipal function, and that is entrenched in the Constitution, and Spluma deals with that. That's a debate uh, on its own. Ownership of land is a totally different matter. Uh, Let me go to one of the questions raised by uh, the caller who was asking how was the land owned uh, uh, before the colonial era. Land ownership, the whole concept of ownership is what has put us in this quagmire at this particular point. The issue about transfer of land and ownership is is, is definitely not an African concept. Land was held pre-colonial area in terms of the African land ethic. Land was shared amongst people. It was never owned by traditional leaders. Traditional leaders did play a role in leadership of communities. They may have played some role in governance, but they did not own the land. Land was owned by the people. Uh, which is very much in line with what Chief Sikau is saying. Mm. And all we are now arguing is that if you reverse that, in light of the current constitution and the current legislation, which is the Interim Protection of Informal Land Rights Act, if you go against that, you will be, that will be tantamount to dispossessing people. There is an old African adage in the Setosa where people say, Ingosi, Ingosi, Ngabandu, a chief is only a chief because of the people. At no point in history has have chiefs exclusively held rights in land. Well, unfortunately, I'm loath to say that I'm really bummed right now that we are out of time. But thanks to our guest this morning, uh, Siabulela Manona, also to Dr. Annika Klaasens and Kosi Klanti Sikau, who joined us on the line. And, and I must say, um, I take uh, your, uh, your, your suggestion, uh, scapegoat Andy Makinana, to say, please invite Nkosi Sipo Matangu. We did try this morning, but we'll try again. And Chief Matanzima for another uh, edition of this discussion. With that, thank you so much for your participation.